Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Welcome to Your Money. We're kicking things off with Market View. Asia Pacific markets trading mixed this morning following losses on Wall Street overnight. Investors are keeping a close eye on Taiwan and China, as well as U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi arriving in Taipei last night. Tokyo is up more than half a percent. Seoul is in the green as well, but Sydney down nearly one percent. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. Good morning, Ryan Huang. Morning, Michelle. Let's start today as we did Monday and Tuesday with the financial sector and corporate results. This time it's OCBC's turn. Southeast Asia's second largest bank is reporting a 28% jump in profits, netting nearly $1.5 billion did so in the three months from April to June. So Ryan, what is driving its business? Okay, so in short, it comes down to robust performance by OCBC's banking, wealth management and insurance businesses as well as the rising interest rate environment. So all that is helping OCBC make more money. Worth noting, it is being offset slightly by fees um, that are lower because of the weaker investment sentiments globally. So investment banking fees, brokerage fees, are just some of the weak spots for OCBC. Looking at the interim dividend, it is at 28 cents. So that's three cents higher than a year ago. Mm -hmm. Also, I guess... What might be a positive is that the allowances for bad loans is down and we are looking at the allowances now lower by 69% at $116 million versus $393 million in the previous year. So that kind of reflects a bit of confidence in how things could pan out with all the talk about a slowdown in the economy, a potential recession. So it's not that alarmed or worried on that front as much as uh, you might have seen in some of the US banks, for example. Loans growth, it is up 3%. So it is also showing some signs of its loan portfolio remaining healthy. Uh, Helen Wong, the CEO, says uh, the bank will remain vigilant and proactively monitor its books for any signs of weakness. But by and large, quite a solid quarter for OCBC. That higher dividend payment for OCBC shareholders likely to be the lead in news stories. 28 cents per share and, as you heard, 3 cents higher than before. Now, OCBC's life insurance subsidiary, Great Eastern Holdings, had a pretty good second quarter as well. It made nearly $300 million. Now, Ryan, that's a whole lot of life insurance policies. What is behind Great Eastern's solid numbers? I think in short, it just means more people buying up insurance. And maybe as we get more news around pandemics, COVID-19, monkeypox, people just want to get more assured, a peace of mind, and it's just seeing people buying more insurance. And we are looking at Great Eastern recording 22% increase in its profits for the second quarter at $282.9 million. And this is pretty much uh, also a very good quarter for Great Eastern, contributing to OCBC's great quarter. OCBC shares have rallied a bit over the past month. They are up 4%. But if you take a 3-month or 12-month perspective, they'd be in the red. So do you think these latest results, Ryan, could help fuel interest in the stock? It is going to be positive overall because you have on the horizon interest rates still going upwards. In fact, the Fed, some of the officials... Um, I have been pouring cold water on the fact that 
inflation is still quite high and the expectations of them unwinding or at least slowing down the rate hike pace anytime soon is probably um, something they don't expect to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's just leading to the expectations that banks would continue to be resilient, make more money from the spreads. And also, it looks like businesses are starting to normalize when it comes to activities, especially in the construction space, hospitality. So that's seeing loans growth as well support banks. So if you look at these results, it does indicate that we might see that trajectory continue in at least the near future. We turn next to geopolitics. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is in Taiwan this morning. She is the highest ranking U.S. official to visit the self-governing island in 25 years. Her plane arrived last night at around 10.45 p.m. The financial markets are on edge as traders gauge China's response and watch carefully for any missteps by either side. Now, at least one potential flashpoint has passed without incident, though, and that is Pelosi's actual arrival. She was on board a U.S. Air Force jet, and some observers had feared that China may send military planes to accompany it, setting off a potential accident in the skies. So I understand that Pelosi's plane last night was the most watched flight in the world, Ryan. Tell us more. Yeah, so there's this platform called Flight Radar 24, and this is where you can pretty much track any plane uh, in terms of its flight path, and it was tracked by over 700,000 people. So pretty much the most tracked flight ever. And this surpasses the previous one, which was the flight taken by Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. Uh, This was back um, some time ago when he was um, involved in the suspected poisoning attempt on his life. So it is just showing a lot of interest in this entire episode where Taiwan is in the middle between China and the US and the potential response from China in how they've been already putting up a lot of rhetoric, a lot of uh, saber rhetoric, uh, and also the escalation in military exercises. A lot of eyeballs on that flight. Upon landing, Pelosi issued a statement saying that her visit, quote, is in no, in no way contradicts long-standing United States policy and that the U.S. continues to oppose unilateral efforts to change the status quo. China sees things differently. It is vowing to take all necessary measures to defend its national sovereignty and warns that the U.S. and Taiwan independent forces will suffer the consequences of Pelosi's visit. Ryan, even before Pelosi arrived in Taipei, the country was experiencing, for example, a spike in cyber attacks. Tell us more. Yeah. So you've got some government websites in Taiwan experiencing cyber attacks. And one of them, for example, the official website of the Taiwan Presidential Office was attacked about 5 p.m. local time. And this saw traffic shoot up 200 times of that in a normal day. So it left the website unable to display anything for nearly 20 minutes. So cyber attacks and potentially more responses to come. Already there's a lot of talk about export bans, trade bans when it comes to the trade between Taiwan and China. Uh, Looking at some reports, China has banned sand exports to Taiwan already. So we've seen how they've banned pineapple imports as well. So that's going to be one to watch out for in terms of potential retaliation with the um, ongoing saga. Also, look out for more 
diplomatic protests. Already they have summoned the US ambassador to China, Qinggang. So that's one to watch out for. So a lot to watch out for in the news in the coming days. The US House Speaker and Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen were, are expected to hold a joint press briefing this morning at 10.53 a.m. So stay tuned for more details. Investors across the globe will be watching closely and will be watching as well right here on Your Money. All right, let's turn now to more corporate news, a host of corporate results to sort through. And I'd really like to zoom in on three companies, a global energy giant and two Chinese tech giants. First, the energy giant BP. It is the latest oil company to report huge quarterly profits, three times as large as a year earlier. So how much money did BP make during the second quarter of the year, Ryan? Yeah, BP making it big, big time. Mm. 14 years. Biggest quarterly profit in 14 years. So that's coming to the tune of $8.45 billion. More than triple what it made Ooh. in the last year. So quite reflective of what the energy space has been doing and performing with um, the likes of Chevron, ExxonMobil, Shell, Total Energies, all of them generating some $60 billion altogether in profit for the second quarter. And it's something we've been seeing, the rise in energy prices, crude oil, natural gas, gasoline prices, um, a lot of it driven by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it is uh, something that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Now, while energy companies are profiting from higher oil prices, the picture is a bit different for Chinese tech giants. Bloomberg writes that Alibaba and Tencent face the end of an era. Why is that? Okay, this is where COVID-19 comes into play. So it's been weighing on the Chinese economy and it could lead to Alibaba, which reports results sometime tomorrow. It could be reporting its first ever decline in quarterly revenue. So it's going to be quite a milestone. And then following suit will be the results from Tencent. Mm. So that could also be one to watch as we see some reflection of how China's economy was hit by COVID-19 in the earlier quarter. Mm -hmm. And then the back and forth when restrictions were lifted and then now the prospects of it being tightened again. So this is going to see Alibaba in focus, especially with all the um, ongoing narratives about the clampdown and the crackdown from the government around its IPO plans, its data usage. So quite a bit of headwind for Alibaba to deal with. In fact, I have a great book on Alibaba to share, um, speaking with a great author. I'll share more about that in time to come. But now is the time for more corporate news and a game of up or down. Are you ready, Ryan? Let's go. Uber. All right, Uber, the ride-hailing company. It is going to be an up for me, mm. even though they reported a second quarter loss. The good news is their revenue doubled by a wide margin and it also became cash flow positive for the first time. Yeah, it's a matter of perspective. Uber is posting record revenue. More drivers are clearly returning to the roads, but the ride-hailing company also lost nearly $2 billion US dollars on investments in other companies like Grab. So this might be contrarian, but I'm going to go with a down. All right, let's look at the luxury brand Tom Ford. Okay, I would go with up. That is with Tom Ford in the news uh, because Estee Lauder, the company, is in talks to buy it with the value being put at at least 
$3 billion. Yeah, Estee Lauder reportedly in talks to buy Tom Ford. So it's definitely an up for the luxury brand. You know, I recently watched House of Gucci. Have you watched that? Not yet. It's a great movie based on a great book. And by the way, I will have the author of that book on this show as well, Sarah Gay uh, Forden. Uh, anyway, Tom Ford is sort of the hero of the Gucci story. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this potential acquisition of Tom Ford by Estee Lauder plays mm. out. All right, let's look at Match. All right, Match is going to be a down for me. And this is after issue Weak Guidance around its current outlook. I think it's just a reflection of how people are just starting to, I guess, have a change of priorities with the normalization of activities. It seems online dating isn't all that it used to be, I guess. eh? Matt shares plunging more than 20% in after-hours trade after its uh, forecast, sales forecast, came in below expectations. All right, we heard this in the news. British Airways. Okay, British Airways is going to be a down for me, in part due to the... Halting of his ticket sales for flights departing from Heathrow because Heathrow has been having a lot of trouble coping with the traffic. It had to cap the capacity for traffic it is running so that it can deal with the passengers and the baggages and the baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is just impacting many airlines like British Airways. So BA's suspension of all short-haul flights to meet a request from Heathrow Airport to cut back on flights cannot be good news for carriers. So I'm going to go with a down for British Airways. All right, Singtel is next. Mm, Singtel is going to be an up for me. And I am looking at headlines where it has its joint venture in Indonesia entering into a sale and purchase agreement for the sale of 6,000 more telecom towers to Mitratel. So it has a stake of 35% in telecom sell. Um, so it's likely to see some benefit from the sale. Yeah, I was looking at Singtel's joint venture in India. Bharti Airtel has secured a 5G license for the next 20 years. So that should be good for Singtel's business. And it's an up in my books. Let's turn to Singapore now. The Straits Times Index traded within a tight range yesterday before essentially finishing flat at 32.39. How's the SDI trading this morning, Ryan? All right, taking a quick look at Singapore markets, we are slightly underwater by 0.1%. Across the region, it's rather mixed with all that's happening in the backdrop, especially the visit by Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan. Uh, Looking at the STI constituents, we've got a mix of green and red pretty much split across the middle. And looking at the top of the table first, Jardine Saka and Carriage is up by 1.7%. And... Sankop Industries up 1.4% and we have OCBC which just reported earnings with profit up 28% for the second quarter. Shares are now up by 1.4% at 11.98. Looking at the bottom of the table is Jardine Matheson Holdings down 2.7% and we have Singtel down 2.3% at 2.57. Singtel trading X dividend today. All right, let's bring the book industry into focus. You know, I'm a huge reader. One last story before we go. Ryan, I'm a books girl. I love to write. I love to read. And one of my favorite writers of all time, Stephen King, has made a haunting presence. He's taken the stand in a U.S. federal trial against his longtime publisher, Simon & Schuster. U.S. regulators are trying to block a merger between Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House. So what does the king of thrill have to say about this? 
Yeah, so this is a lot of baggage where Stephen King is just one of the many characters that will be part of this ongoing episode where the Justice Department is trying to figure out if the merger is in the best interest of the American public and whether they should go ahead and give its stamp of approval. And for now, Stephen King is not in favor of the merger. So he is saying, no, if the publishers, the more they consolidate, the harder it is for indie publishers to survive. This is something he tweeted last year and it's something he's likely to continue um, with that narrative. So it's not likely to see him favor the merger. Uh, but I think he will probably try to take inspiration from it to put into his new book. Hey, you never know, hey? Those flashes of outrage that we see on um, on the stand could make it into the pages of a new book. Are you an, a fan of Stephen King? I used to read a lot of his books when I was growing up. So oh, really? oh, I would great. say yes, yeah. Oh, fantastic. So I love The Stand, for example. And I also love the way Stephen King uh, announced himself, you know, when he identified himself. Mm, my favorite book was The Just Shining. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Did you know that Stephen King really didn't like the movie that was based on that book? I heard. Why didn't he like it? He though? said Kubrick did a really bad job when it came to the main character because he wasn't meant to look so insane. <laughs> I mean, there was an arc. Well, it's open interpretation, so, well... <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you put a book out there, it's everybody's uh, interpretation. Imagination, right? right? Yeah. Well, anyway, Stephen King on the stand said, My name is Stephen King. I'm a freelance writer. Can you imagine that humility mm. during the trial? I'm a freelance writer. Please, you're a best-selling writer. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here on Market View. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.